In the spirit of reconciliation, Grab the Trace acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Grab the Trace podcast, a home design show to help you deliver your next project to its full potential. We're your hosts, Lachlan and Michaela, and if you're looking for some tips and secrets for your next project, being it building a new home, renovating, or even just picking what we know furnishings would best suit your space, we have you covered. Whilst we'll try to help as much as possible, this podcast is of a general nature and won't be able to take into account your individual circumstance. If you need personalised advice, you should engage a relevant professional consultant to help make the best decisions for your situation. This week, we're talking about what we're referring to as the building blocks of home design. So stick around, pull up your plans, and let's grab the trace. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in for part two on our episode on the building blocks of home design. We hope you all enjoyed last week's one. We didn't actually plan on this being a two-parter, but by the time we got to ceiling heights, we realized we've been it was, it recording was for huge. longer than we'd yeah. ever recorded before. So <laughs> Fair in the sake of clarity and not wanting to rush uh, the final section of it all, we'll, we thought we'd break it up. Before we, we go ahead and jump back in, we've got our classic segments at the start to kick everything off. I'd like to thank everybody for leaving their positive feedback and comments. I noticed we got another five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, mysterious oh, person. Thank you. If you do uh, go to the effort of writing out a written review, we're more than happy to read it out. Always an option for you guys. So, Michaela, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm so good right oh. now. Chuffed. It's been a big day. Another it's, um, big week in the design world. Oh, it has. I mean, I've actually got some crack a little secret segments for you as well this week that I'm quite happy about. Dualux has put out their colour forecast for next year. So oh, we heard, won't touch I on heard. it this week. For all you fans out there for colour, go and check those fan decks. I've also got a bit of a, I guess, a segment as well, or like some big news in the design big world. News. One of my favourite interior designers, Mim Design. It's actually mm. 21 years today that they've been in business. Congratulations, Mim design yeah well done congratulations we've got some questions we put out a story the day before we recorded first one if i can bring it up michaela probably is more relevant to you okay comes from a very very lovely listener who says hey guys big fan of the show my question is for you michaela in the last episode you briefly mentioned paint undertones could you please elaborate on this what is an undertone and why is it important when selecting the surrounding finishes oh good question probably how would I best describe? So it was the first section of that question. It was asking what an okay. undertone is. Yeah. What is an undertone okay. is the first half. All right. Again, in our building blocks, our part one, we really went into what the building blocks were, be it flooring, materials, palette. So all of our finishes, be that timber flooring, tiles, paint color, stone, cabinetry, all of these materials have an undertone, be that yellow, pink, blue, every single material is going to throw a particular color. When you gather your mood board images together, you're getting a select theme. From that, you're then choosing your building block materials, and then you're able to get samples of those materials. My suggestion is to bring all those samples together and kind of group them together. When you start grouping different materials together, you're actually able to see those slight undertones. 
Usually like a Carrara marble, for instance, is going to have a very blue undertone or even the paint color that I spoke about last week, Dulux Ghosting, that's going to have a very pink undertone. Then we're looking at even timber floorboards. If you're looking at a beautiful oak, that's going to have a yellow undertone. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is when we create this theme, when we create this mood board, we start getting our finishes together. When you start seeing all the samples or little offcuts together, you want to group those in colors and undertones. So you want all the yellows to work together. You want all the pinks to work together, all the blues to work together. I think you definitely notice the difference between an architectural and interior designed project or house compared to, you know, a startup home or someone who's not in the industry who aren't able necessarily to get all those samples and to look at all those finishes together. We'll always aim for collecting all these materials and selecting one undertone and making sure that throughout a project or throughout a space, we're just picking that one undertone and picking all of our finishes based on that undertone. Love that. Fantastic. Does that that answer the question? I think that does. I think that's ticked off what the undertone is and then why it is important. So thank you very much for the question. Very good one. That was a great one. Thank Uh, you. One that probably not many people, I mean, I even learned something then. I'm not even quite sure I understood what an undertone (laughs) was. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Now, I've got a second question oh, here. People uh, went nuts this week. I mean, just the engagement's been fantastic. So let me just see if I can pull this bad boy up. Should houses lean more towards free expression or good impressions? Oh my gosh, that's a very deep question. We were just talking off mic about this. This is an un, like a very deep question. It is. <laughs> it's like, it it's, really is. Yeah. Okay. I think that can definitely be interpreted a lot of different ways. How I personally interpret that is, are you designing your house purely for you or are you designing or creating your home? based on what you think a popular choice is or a well-received or easy choice. Agreed. More mainstream choice. Is yeah. that? I think that's that's yeah. what we're, we're talking about. What's your preference? Because I, def- I definitely have a preference. I think one of the, the big themes that we're touching on is a theme for your house can be nice. Mm-hmm. And all nice houses or nice designs probably end up sharing quite a lot of similar traits. So it can be a little bit, If you walk into someone's house and you're like, oh, well, I saw that on the block or I saw that on Instagram, some things you just get right. The building blocks, if you get high ceilings right, it's not like someone's going to walk into your house and be, oh, you've got high ceilings. You must have done that because of the block. No, it's just you're not conforming to anything. It's just high ceilings are nice. Hmm. At the same time, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest investment in your life. So I don't think you can be blamed necessarily for thinking of resale value in the future or making decisions at the start that might not be a part of your everyday life, but a future user of the house. Oh, I'm, I don't want to be the devil's advocate or like sitting on the wall, but I'm, or sitting on the fence, but I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm all for, I feel like if you're spending all this money and all this time and all this energy on building this dream home, it's for you. It's for no one else. It should be your tastes and this is for you this is for right now this is for your checklist your wish list as long as you're ticking your items i am 100 all for making this your dream home and kind of bugger everyone else at the end of the day but on the other side of the coin is you know i'm not one for designing this you know dream home of yours designing it to be exactly how you want it to be but that's not to say 
if you want to paint your house fluoro orange, you paint that house fluoro orange. No, 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 no. There's a line. There's a (laughs) line. There's definitely a line. There's a line. Don't be that person in the street. You know, you've always got the one person in the suburb that has the old car out the front, who never mows the lawn, who never looks after the gardens, hasn't painted the house. It's all just, and it just brings down the whole street. Don't be that person. But on the flip side, don't be the person with the bright fluoro orange house or the, because that's what you like. You still have to be in keeping with the neighbourhood, in the street. You still have to be considerate to your neighbours. You have to be considerate of future sales for other people because how your house looks on the outside is going to reflect 100%. and have an effect on your neighbours. Yeah, we're all in this together. Mm, but I'm I all mean, for like, yeah. if you want a fluoro house on the inside, rock and roll. You're the, you're the only one. Like, you do that's, you. Oh, I would never recommend a fluoro orange house on the inside. Please don't. But, <laughs> but the whole point is design your dream house for you, but just be considerate on street appeal. Love is, it. is that kind of I think that's halfway it. in between? I'm yeah, kind I think of sitting that's on a, the fence a, bit a little of a bit. Fence like so it's guys. definitely firmly in the camp of bugger everyone else, but mm. at the same time within reason. <laughs> yes, within reason. Within reason. <laughs> Love it. Thank you very much for your questions, everyone. Really, really appreciate it. It's now time oh. for a little bit of inspiration. Graham. Yay, my favorite. To change things up, Mikhail, I'm actually going to get you to go first this week. Oh, okay. All right. Bring it on. So my pick is, I did mention it at the start of the episode, but Mim Design. This is, oh, they have been one of my all-time favorite interior architecture practices. I'm absolutely in awe of every single project that they do and every single one that comes out, they just bring something new to the table that I haven't seen before. So it's quite rare in the design world. You know, there's kind of the saying that a design isn't new. Everyone's done it. Everyone's been there, done that, used the same materials, but they somehow bring a whole new palette, new idea to every project. So my pick of the week is obviously Mem Design, but in particular, their BB Residence. All right, so this BB Residence or this absolute stunning gem of mm-hmm. a house, in particular, their kitchen design. Heart of the home, in the center, it is absolutely stunning. What I always think of in architectural or interior design-based homes is a particular palette or materials used and they've kind of flipped it for me. So I usually find timber flooring is kind of my precedence, what I always lean towards with my clients and and my projects. However, they've done a beautiful stone flooring throughout and then timber cabinetry. So they've got all that warmth in the cabinetry in the kitchen. They have chosen the most subtle and defined stone for this kitchen. And it's such a paired back minimalist palette, but it just works. It looks absolutely stunning. But in particular, how they've done this island design is, oh my gosh, it is absolutely monolithic, but understated. It's elegant. It has this gorgeous curve to the island fascia. It's just this huge block in the middle of the space. They've replicated that and used that design detail for like the range hood. They've done bench to ceiling height stone. They've got these pops of brush brass, stunning pendant over the dining space. It is just absolutely beautiful. But then They've, instead of timber flooring, where obviously you get tone and texture and movement, they've actually got white timber lining boards on the ceiling and continued that throughout into the living space. Again, another photo that'll pop up um, throughout the week is how they've done this like stone and fireplace detail. They've used this beautiful stone plinth 
underneath this fireplace. It continues into this integrated built-in bench seat. They've got this little nook area with a pendant and then they've got timber battening replicating the timber cabinetry seen in the kitchen. It's just, it's absolutely divine. And then if the, the living and kitchen space isn't enough, you go into the bathrooms and, you know, this, it looks like a main bathroom, but in this main bathroom, they have a, a traditional just underslung or undermount sink. But then how they've finished this with a seamless cutout into the stone top. They've run the same flooring up as the stone slabs as well and, and kept it really, really clean and uniform. That It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful design. And it's just so pared back and simplistic and beautiful and elegant. Even this gorgeous, stunning stairwell. Again, with our Oculus. Yeah, we've got a round skylight. Like it's just these details are so subtle, but just beautiful. Anyway, I I will post all these photos up. You can like it, please comment on it. Let me know what your kind of favorite feature is of this project as well. I have so many. So it'd be good to hear other people's thoughts on it. But yeah, that's my pick of the week. So what's yours? I can see it here. I'm going to pull it up. So I got a little bit distracted then because I was just pulling up some of the images and I found out that mine is actually an Airbnb as well. So you can actually go and stay in it after you look at the images. Whereabouts? We're talking Rush Cutters Bay in New South Wales. Stunning. So might have to wait until, <laughs> until some COVID. Of the, yeah, until some of this COVID stuff settles down. Designed by Brad Schwartz. We're talking about a micro scale apartment, 24 meters squared, and it's a existing one bedroom apartment that was renovated. It is a masterclass in every single bit of floor space being used to its potential. It's got elements that we talked about last week, like hidden joinery doors that actually lead into the ensuite, where you'd think it's just a part of the kitchen. Oh, it looks like panel work, and then it just all completely disappears. It's got a sliding timber screen that separates the kind of bed from the main parts of the living space. So during the day, you can screen that off and no one can see your bed. And then at night, open that up, cover the kitchen up because you're not using it anymore. It's beautiful. And it's all within the existing footprint. They demolished everything. So they went back to a blank canvas and then redesigned it from the ground up in terms of keeping the plumbing where the plumbing was in the existing. It's got beautiful windows from one side to the other. So much natural light. Just stunning. I'm just looking at the building from the outside. It's not a beauty. No, it betrays it. But It really does. But what they've done with that. Recycling existing housing stock. So this is, I guess the reason I'm bringing this is if they can achieve this much in such a small space, if you've got a kitchen that you think is small, have a look at how Brad has approached this. And I don't know if it was just him or if there was a team on it. It, Oh, it's genius. It's so effectively used. And so it's something that we'll talk about probably next week when we get to our wet areas episode. This. This is the minimum. Everything on top of this, you can just improve or you can increase storage. You can get a bigger pantry. You can, instead of having just one dish drawer, you can go to two dish drawers. It's, yeah, There's it's so beautiful. much inspiration to take from and how to do design well in a small space. If you have the luxury of, you know, quadruple the size of that oh place, goodness. like imagine what you can achieve. Unreal. Uh, and as I was saying, actually on Airbnb for 140 a night. So go and treat yourselves oh, if you're down in Sydney. Good Stunning. find. Good find, Lockie. All right. House Hacks time. Are you ready? I'll go first. Once again, this is the Building Blocks episode, so there's going to be a whole bunch of little little tips and tricks we'll throw at you, but we'll just distill it down to what we're, we're thinking at this stage. So my tip for this week is a garage tip. It's maybe not as much of an issue if you've got a large block, but if you're on a smaller project home block where you don't have a lot of side access, if you can get a door from the back of your garage into like, say, the side 
boundary or, or however it is, just put a door there so you can get straight through access. If you're going to Bunnings and you're buying a whole lot of potting mix, you don't have to try and carefully carry that through your kitchen oh. and have the bag rip halfway and ruin all the grout on your tiles. It is such a small detail that if you actually design it in at the beginning, it's just a door. It's easy to get in. It's really hard to fit retrospectively. So I'm. that's a huge 100%. one. That is massive. To go even further, something I've noticed is a lot of the houses around where I live, they're putting pools in at the moment. And so they're having to try and crane the pools or, or the equipment over the top of the existing house, which is cost. Imagine if you've how got much money a bit of save. width and you could put a second garage roller door, it doesn't need to be the same width, but even just a single roller door width for one car. If you can get drive through access... That, that's oh, going to save you a lot of money. Even the smallest things of just getting in your lawnmower. Yeah, just 100%. If, Even if it's stored in the back of the garage and you just you want to keep it out of sight, out of mind, you don't want to have to have a you know, little garden shed in the corner. If you've got a small block and you want to utilise as much as possible, you know, that's a great idea. It's beautiful. Love that. It's beautiful. What have we got this week? All right, my house hack. It's a pretty simple one, actually, this week. But sometimes I think everyone get, gets a bit overwhelmed when doing bathrooms because, again, it, it's I feel like it's very similar to a kitchen design where everyone's like it's the heart of the home and they want to put so much money and energy and effort into it. They want to get it right. Bathrooms are quite similar. It's it's a big expense when you're looking at how many trades you actually need in a bathroom. Mistakes that are made are very expensive to change 100%. after the fact. So my tip is for any freestanding baths, so be that a back-to-wall freestanding, any bath that's separate from the shower, I highly, highly, highly recommend introducing a handheld shower piece. Oh. Yeah, so be that instead of just a mixer and a spout or if you do this beautiful floor mount spout, you can kind of introduce it either way, whether that's wall mount or floor mount. So you can do the floor mount spouts with a handheld shower attached mm -hmm. or you can do a wall mount spout mixer and then do a little handheld shower um, on cord as well. So I find for probably two or three reasons that it's beneficial. Two reasons? Two reasons. That Let's it's go with two. Yeah. And if we get a third, it's a bonus. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> for two reasons that it's just beneficial is one, being able to wash dogs, wash pets. That's what I use mine for. It's so much easier than trying to do them in the shower to do them in the laundry tub. Like, Agreed. It's just so much easier and having that handheld shower, it's like, boom, a built-in dog wash station right there for you. Uh, second one, cleaning your freestanding bath and behind it and around it. So frustrating and so annoying. Dust collects everywhere. Being able to just spray bleach and be able to just... <laughs> just be done with it. Just... And just spray your bath down, clean it. So much easier. That's my second one. And probably third one is actually probably just bathing kids. I think like my nieces and nephews, when they come over, able to bath, able to use that hand shower, even just to like clean the bubbles away. My nieces in particular don't like water on their face or being able to wash their hair in the bath way easier um yeah i think it's bit just more uh bit more <laughs> graceful than the, the pitcher the of water yeah <laughs> the, the like kind of plastic tupperware like picture oh yes everyone every house has oh, one you don't goodness. need one now fantastic so that's, so that's yeah that's, that's my pick that's it guys are you ready to jump back in? Yeah, like, this I'm, is I'm so ready. I was so into this episode. We have so many good things coming. We already gave away so many little hacks and tips and hints as well last episode. So yeah, I'm really keen to just finalize this list and let's get it done. Let's get into it. Let's get back into it. So this is our building block recap from last episode. If you haven't listened to the full thing yet, go and jump in there or else this might be a little bit confusing. What are the building blocks of a new build or reno? 
we see them as the consistencies across the house, the same finishes that are seen throughout the home and in each room or space. Last episode, we touched on the following main topics, flooring, paint colours and wall treatments, trims, doors and hardware, and then we finished off with our ceiling details. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to hit on some lighting and electrical. Take it away. Awesome. So lighting and electrical. So I always find that these building blocks or these consistencies throughout the house, it's small touches. Honestly, it's really small little things that everyone noticed, but light switches, but also position of light switches, how high more like traditional homes you set at, you know, 15, 1600 high for off the floor. In a typical home nowadays, we're looking at like 1350. 1350. Yep. 1350 to the center point. Two-way light switches, single light switches. And then we're not even touching on the actual like lighting itself. So down lights, pendants, wall lights, wall sconces, LED LED strips, censored lighting, like exterior lighting we haven't even touched on. (laughs) So there's, yeah, there's so many components to just lighting and electrical for a home. But we have GPOs, light switches, as we said, two-way lights, three-way lights, dimmers, no dimmers. Dimmers are huge. They just change your whole space. If you're... One of the main things you'll notice is lights these days with smart lights, they're kind of built in with dimmers. But if you've got an older house and you're trying to add a dimmer to it, it costs some money. It does. Like to the do the dimmer, drivers yeah, and the actual yep. switches themselves, it, it's hard to retrofit. So you kind of want to do your house all at one go, I always find. And it can get expensive. We're not going to lie. Like electricians, plumbers and joiners as well. They're one of our yep, like trades. top paying trades. So let's. I feel like we need to kind of go into it, even give some hints and tips into life. Or, or little things around the home that we would recommend or we integrate into our clients' homes or our projects, even our own renos as well. We've yeah. got some nice little touches. I agree. Probably the the main one that I've noticed, especially after becoming a homeowner, was with LED lighting, the kind of plug and socket style of light where it's pretty much you can just plug it into a PowerPoint and then turn the light on. If, you, if you're doing a new build, just save yourself the hassle and do that. Don't do batten fixings or screw in bulbs anymore, purely from a, a point of view that if something breaks in the light fitting, you can just go to Bunnings and spend $10 and get a new LED downlight and change it yourself. You don't need an electrician. If the fitting itself dies rather than just the bulb, you just hot swap it. It's and just so Are we so even going to touch on like LED versus halogen? We not, oh my we goodness. Not... No, just LEDs from LED. now on, guys. Yep. I mean, the only only time you might not use an LED is like a heat lamp in a bathroom. Yeah. If that's... you need just that little bit of extra intensity. But from even just an ongoing cost point of view, yeah, just LEDs. Yeah, just LEDs. All the way. It's, it's worth better the Better color accuracy. You can get smart ones now, so you can tell Google to turn things off and on. It's fantastic. You can get colored lights if you're so inclined. Yep. Not that I am. Do you have any, any little tips? Oh, I've got a few little tips. Dimmers. Dimmers are a big one. I know we touched on it, but it really does change the way you use a space. So my biggest ones are bedrooms, love dimmer switches, yep. uh, media rooms or living spaces and kitchens probably, funnily enough. If you don't have, say, a pendant or if you've got a dining space next to a kitchen and you've got a focal pendant in that dining space, I'd be more inclined to go quite simplistic in the kitchen and don't double up. Don't have two fighting pendants next to each other. Yes. Yep. I always say pick one space, pick one room and make that the focal point. So in the kitchen, if you have a dimmer switch, you can kind of lower those lights in that space 
set it to, you know, you've done the kitchen cook time and you've dimmed the lights down and you've got your focal pendant on, but it's not, we don't want a bright fluoro lit room. Yep. <laughs> we don't want it to be daytime, uh, you know, after dinner. So just, yeah, dimmer switches in kitchens, living spaces, media rooms. Bedrooms. And bedrooms. They're yep. probably my big ones. Even a hallway, a really, really, if you have a really, really long hallway, I love to get some dimmer switches in there because at night as well, you don't need everything lit up like Christmas. Just soft lighting. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of dimmers. So. Just keep it really nice and smooth. Yeah. That's um, the vibe. Another tip in design that I'm not necessarily a fan of is like colored GPOs and colored light switches. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's actually sparked something. I'll talk. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, it, look, it's 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 triggering for me. But um, when everyone's like, oh, I've got matte black tapware everywhere. So let's do black GPOs everywhere. Sorry. For, in layman's terms, GPOs, general power outlet. We're talking about PowerPoints. Sorry, yeah. guys. I should have mentioned that yeah i see it all the time where you know oh we're doing something moody and contemporary and we've got a matte black finish everywhere so let's do all the light switches and gpos in matte black and it's just oh no one wants to see black boxes on white walls everywhere it's it's not for me light switches in my opinion shouldn't be seen fair enough just blend even when it comes to feature lighting or just lighting in general be that switches or lights i feel like the best lighting is never actually seen Other than focal pendants. Yep, love that. Downlights should just illuminate a room and not actually be, you know, tunnels of light coming down. It should just really soften or softly light a space. Oh, LED strip lights. Again, quite controversial in the office as well. We always find, to me, just overdoing it. If you've got, you have to think about your materials as well. So I always find a lot in the design industry where we've got polished bench bench tops or we have mirrored splash packs and then they want an LED light in the underside of the overhead cover. You can end up seeing each diode. Yeah, you can see every single little dot. That is like my pet hate, like pet (laughs) hate. Or going really, really cool with the LED light. So if you've got this almost blue-white light, it can feel quite cold and quite clinical. Again, the reflective surfaces for me, people forget about a lot or just overdoing it. Just there's just LED strip lights everywhere and it looks like a racing strip or like you, you know, going down LA somewhere. Like it doesn't... Yeah, a bit of need for speed. Okay, yeah, just, I get you, I get you. Yeah, just overdone. I feel like do it tastefully, pair it back, use it functionally. That's my biggest thing. People just put in LED light, LED strip lighting just willy-nilly and they just put it everywhere and think, oh, that'll be jazzy. But think about it. What are you actually highlighting? What are you trying to light up? Are you doing the rear bench splashback to be able to use that space at night? Are you putting it inside cabinets to be able to use? Are you putting it inside wardrobes? Do they have a function? Do they have a purpose? Not just, I want a LED, LED strip lighting sure. everywhere. <laughs> Something you mentioned in terms of cool temperature on the colors. Mm-hmm. Like I think we should maybe just yeah, touch quickly on that. touch I think, on that yeah. in terms of when you've got what we would call a white light just a normal light rather than it being a a specific colored you'll get a k rating or a k level on it so the lower the number the the more warm that color gets so from memory 4000 4000 k 4000 k is your neutral lighting yep do you have as an architect it's always interesting because i feel like interior designers and architects do have varying ideas Mm -hmm. or or wishes in lighting. Personally, from an interior design perspective, or this might just be my personal preference, I actually prefer a warm base lighting than cool based. I always find it just softens interiors. It makes it feel a lot more inviting, a lot warmer, obviously. Mm -hmm. Where cool lighting, I always feel like it's, it feels a bit commercial to me. Yeah, That's what um, I do in in commercial spaces or offices or public spaces. I'm going to need you to jump off the fence you're on earlier because I'm jumping straight on the 4,000. I'm like right in the middle. You're just neutral. I just want it to 
be neutral. What's the point in kind of probably the situation you see it the most with is artwork. Oh, yeah. Unless that artwork has been painted to be viewed in a specific temperature of light, just go neutral. I probably do lean a little bit more towards the warmer side, I guess, if I had to pick a side. There we go. We got him. Yeah. (laughs) It's now time to move on to something that I'm quite excited about. Here we go. Architectural component. It's window and glazing time, guys. So glazing, including like your external doors. Let's start off with frames. So existing houses or potentially if you're doing a a house that you want to maybe reference being as older than it is, timber framed windows and doors. More recent homes will have uh, like an aluminium, either powder coated or anodized frame. My preference is more the, al- oh, am I saying it wrong? Is it aluminum? Or no, al- no, no. It's, it's aluminium. aluminium. I switch between saying aluminum and aluminium quite it's, a lot. It's definitely so. aluminium. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely aluminium. So that's your, your kind of your frame types. As an architect, can you just give us a overview of the pros and cons of going timber or or versus aluminium timber if you're doing a a project where you've got other timber elements my probably one of my favorite things and you can even almost see it a little bit with my inspiration ground from this week in that apartment they had black butt timber flooring and so then he used the exact same timber as that screen that slid across the bedroom so as we're saying cohesiveness ties in a building block of that design is the the black butt timber. So use that as a focal for your glazing. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest with you. I I tend to stay away from natural exposed timber purely just from a maintenance point of view. You don't need to, if you've got an aluminium frame door or window, there's so many powder coat colors. You can just pick whatever suits. But Especially you'll get- if you've got timber framed windows that you're just painting to match. You can get that in aluminium and then color it the same color. 100%. 100%. You don't need to stain it. You don't need to sand it. You don't need to worry about layers of paint from previous people who decided to do a different thing, jamming up the actual mechanism of it as well. And windows (laughs) don't shut as smoothly as they normally do. Something I'm going through at the moment on the renovation I'm working on. Obviously, with timber, you're restricted with the material that you're using. So in the case of aluminium or steel, you have a lot more flexibility in design. Like you could do arched easily oh, you could 100%. do arched windows or arched doors you can you can do custom size and shape windows that you couldn't achieve out of timber agreed but i actually i like a bit of mix as well so even if you are doing say aluminium windows but then you've got this beautiful timber sliding door out the back to your entertainment space I think used appropriately and sensibly thinking about maintenance. Like obviously you were saying there's there's maintenance involved in timber, obviously. So you're going to have to stain that. If it's used in an undercover area, if it's used like one door, you can easily access it. If it's stained the same as your timber decking. So the maintenance is already kind yeah. of there with your decking. So you might as well just do the door when you do the you know timber decking boards at the same time. So pros and cons. Um, what I, about- I uh, think even for weight, as well i think timber doors and actually end up being a little bit heavier we've got these lovely big timber doors in our office and they are they are so heavy they are so heavy i remember when they were getting installed it took eight of us to like lift the panel up i mean they're four meters high i mean it's it's huge it's a luxury. <laughs> they're enormous doors and probably most of that weight's actually the glass in them but it's just something else to take into consideration is if you're trying to move them if you want that one finger operation, either you're going to need super smooth rollers if it's a sliding door. And a heavy duty track. Yeah, and a heavy duty track, or you're going to need just a lighter frame structure. The advantage of the aluminium is it's a kind of a hollow cross section. So instead of it being 100% filled with timber, you might only have like 20 to 30% of that cross section is actually being material. Yeah. And what about uh, ocean? 
or salt. Oh, huge one. Yep, yeah. doing a project at the moment uh, at the Gold Coast. If you were that close to the ocean, it's just so corrosive. Just mm-hmm. the salt in the air just strips it. So and there's... warping, like we touched on it last yep. um, last episode as well. We we don't want those doors to warp, or you no. even find in older homes more with like casement windows when they are out of timber, they'll warp. They won't be able to open and close properly. So there is ongoing maintenance with that. I feel like we're kind of bashing on timber frames I love them, here, like, but they're so beautiful. They really they are. are. Even just from an experience point of view, you know what it's like. It's like we're talking about with the lighting. Timber windows are the warm lighting to the aluminium windows, cool oh, lighting. Like yeah. it's a little bit clean. Cool. Yep. Timber's got that little bit of charm to it. It does. I mean, what the worst case scenario, if you want to go and strip it back to its bare bones, you can. You can just take it off its hinges, go in the backyard, sand it down and give it a new life. Mm. Where you're a little more hamstrung with aluminium, you're going to most definitely ruin a warranty or you're going to need to get it replaced. Yeah, definitely. I um, What I always say to my clients and in project basis when it comes to materials, I don't like to be, you know, perfect or pristine with my materials. I love them to age. And that's that's kind of the joy that comes with natural materials in terms of, you know, I'm not too hesitant if there's a scratch in my timber flooring. It's timber. It's going to age. It's going to wear and tear. You're going to have this authentic movement to timber. Yeah, yeah. Same with stone. It's going to chip. It might stain. Like I'm not saying- It'll upset cool. you. Yeah. But it's, it's a part of the life well, of it. Even it that, it, a... it doesn't upset me. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be happy if I have <laughs> a huge, you know, red wine stain in the middle of my white marble bench top. I'm not saying that. But if there's chips and marks and to me, that's just a part of that's yeah, a that's, business. that's part of the beauty of a natural material. Mm, so windows. same thing with timber windows or door frames is I love when that's exposed and they don't even paint it and they stain it. And you could do, you know, a beautiful white oak windows and doors. Oh, I've seen goodness. them done absolutely stunningly. But then you could match that like we went on with our previous episode. I spoke about the white oak doors. You don't have to paint internal doors. You could have beautiful yes. timber yep. door frames going in and out of every space and then, you know, that cohesively matches the external windows and door frames like that could be your building block that could be what you keep saving your images of is this architectural component that might be your niche that might be your thing that you love with your project and to you it's worth that maintenance agreed going on from that i think we'll just quickly breeze through the types the different types yeah so with your doors external hinge doors uh talked about that last week we've got sliding doors big fan of those whether they're the sliding stacker ones or you can even get the ones that part in the middle yep those are great center opening bifold you can do the same thing you can either have them stack all from one side or stack from the center or offset oh i'm gonna be controversial here are you a external (laughs) sliding or an external bifold fan there is a right answer here by the way guys oh i know what the answer is as well (laughs) and i'm just trying to dance around it it's sliding it's not bifold because Tell one of the, why. the main issues, and I was just about to touch on this with the next one, especially in Queensland where you want these doors and windows to be open all year round to get those breezes in. We have a lot of bugs in Queensland. Pests or even just Mosquitoes. people. Even the people variety. If you want to keep dogs, them out. Dogs. Pets. You've got to screen it somehow. So whether you're using a fly screen, using a security screen, which is tight knitted, I guess. And it's made out of stainless. Yeah. It's, so it's, you're it's, getting it's, that security <laughs> A bifold door is quite difficult to secure. You would be doing that through almost like a pull across. Like you can do that for a fly screen. It doesn't really work for a security screen. So like it's, it's just... in its own separate section of the frame. Yeah. So it's two yeah. independent kind of doors. 
just need to factor that in. Um, so that's going to that thicken up the track? Thicken up the track, potentially a little bit less internal space or external space. Just something to keep in mind. Also with, bi- sorry, just on that, <laughs> um, with bifold doors, where are they stacking to? They have to yeah. be, once they're obviously opened and they stack back, you need a provisional, you need a space outside to stack those doors. Again, that's maintenance. That's a space that always gets kind of dirty. It's always going to get, you know, leaves and debris kind of yep. built up behind it and around it. I guess as well, having a thicker track and a transition from inside to outside can also be a bit disruptive and take up a lot more space than originally thought. With a sliding door, you don't have those issues. Agreed. In terms of windows, mm-hmm. we'll follow a similar vein here. So, yep. but the main ones that I deal with is your classic sliding window. Yep. So, whether that's just a sliding window that's two panes, one's fixed, one slides behind it, you've got the ability to do a three pane one where the middle pane is fixed and the two on the end slide. Then you've got casement, seen on your more traditional Queenslander style or your more traditional character homes where they kind of hinge out from the side, almost like a mini door. Yep. Pretty much that's the best way to describe it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Um, top hung or awning windows, which the same thing, but instead of being hinged from the side, they're hinged from the top. And you can either have those with little push-out levers or you can have them on a winder that yeah, you can Yeah, everyone push knows out. the little winder. Love you know. the winder. <laughs> Love it. Um, oh, you're doing the sound effects oh, this week. That's no, that, good. that was lucky. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the the next three, um, so you can have single hung windows, fixed pane of glass, and then top sliding. So instead of moving side to side, it moves up and down. You can have double hung, which is both of those panes move. I'm not a huge fan I'm of those. I'm not a fan of those. A little bit difficult to operate, especially if they're big windows in terms of being able to reach up the top or trying to, to, to put it in without or, getting fingerprints yep. on. And then you have... I'm getting a little bit excited. You have what I call the king of windows. Here we go. Louvers. Boom. They are expensive, I know. Generally, how they'll screen them is they'll either build out the the window on the outside or the inside, and then you'll either have your, your security screen externally or internally to the window. Most amount of ventilation... If you've got a fall risk, say you're putting louvers on a, a full height louver on the second story, the glass can be stronger or they, they can introduce rails to stop it being a fall issue. Mm-hmm. Or you just have your security screen because mm-hmm. that can provide the, the I do love louvers rating. as well in the sense that like I always think of window design of worst case, best case scenario. So if, again, we live in Queensland, so it's quite tropical, we get a lot of heavy rain. Agreed. Sideways, horizontal rain. So I always find louvers to be the best at keeping ventilation ventilation open great for privacy but then also amazing for when it storms you can have a window open and (laughs) the inside of your house your carpet's not going to get wet rain can't come in because you can direct those louvers yeah they're like a whole a whole series of tiny little top hung windows is probably the way i'd describe it it's just a whole bunch of little ones top hung windows are awesome for if you do live in an area where you don't say have eaves on your roof and you might want to leave your your window open when it's raining to go on further from the king of windows I want to just touch on a little, and I'll put up a photo, but my favorite window that I'm obsessed with doing at the moment is a variation on louver on, say, one of the sides, and then a fixed pane, almost like a picture window. And then if you've got the the space and the budget, another louver on the other side. So that way you can get as much ventilation as you need in, but then you've got that nice big picture window in the middle. With no mullions. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful. I, I Yeah. I'm working on a couple of projects at the moment where I'm putting them in and I've worked on projects in the past where they're in and they're built and they're just fantastic. I just, I love them to death. I'm going to literally pick your brain here being an architect. This is an absolute blessing. So we've gone through window styles and I just wanted to touch on 
privacy for windows yep, and how yep. we do achieve that. So you kind of mentioned screening, but we've got like sun hoods or how we can kind of introduce sun hoods for obviously sun protection, but also for privacy. What type of window style do we choose for wet areas or bathrooms? And you've got, you know, this beautiful big picture window in your bathroom, but you, you don't want to be a nudie Rudy. Yeah. How do we, how can we kind of treat that without doing window furnishings internally? And what's kind of the different styles of frosted or privacy glass. Yeah, so obscured glass is where you would have a, instead of it being a clear flat panel of glass, it's actually got a bit of texture to it. And the point of that texture is to diffuse the light as it's coming in to kind of almost scramble it a little bit. So in some situations, depending what actual finish you go with for that, you can still kind of see like the silhouette. It does have to do with like how close you are to the window as well. So if you're right up against that window, it's pitch black and you've got the bathroom light on inside, you get right up to that window, you're going to have a lot less privacy. But if you step back, say half a meter or a meter you actually can't see anything all you can see is like shadowed of colors yeah it's just like a really cool shadow puppet yeah it's it's definitely probably my preference to frosted glass so do you want to explain what frosted glass is yeah so frosted glass is how would i describe this it's a flat yeah, glass. It's, it's, a, it's not textured. A flat pane. And if you're frosting something retroactively, you can just apply a film, like a film. A film to it. You can integrate the frosting into it. That's almost like a painted back glass situation. Mm-hmm. But my issues with it is you do get maybe a little bit more privacy than obscuring in some regards because color doesn't go through that. It's just the flat image. But I tend to find that it really does kind of amp up that shadow puppet effect where you can really see the silhouettes of the Mm -hmm. people in there clearly. The other issue that I find with it is it it can be quite glary as well, especially in in full full sun. sun, um, During the day, that can get pretty brutal. Very glary. Yeah. That's just something to keep in mind. I, I guess the show's preference is obscured. And if you're looking for a particular type of obscuring, I would look into a, I think it's called a satin light style, which is a whole bunch of like kind of little mini raised sections to that glass that when you run your hand over it, it kind of just feels like a textured glass. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I Almost like what I'd imagine Braille to be like, I guess, like just oh, yeah. a whole bunch of series of those. There's different motif or like how big those little indentations are. So you can increase them, reduce them. Five mil. That's what I'd recommend. Yeah, if you're go, looking into go it, fine. satin light five mil. Perfect. Had done it on a few projects. Looks really slick. And again, I think we we even touched on this when it came to our last episode with doors. Every window style, every window finish, there's a place for. So you might be on a Western facade up, you know, four or five stories in an apartment. Probably wouldn't recommend a frosted window. I'd go with the obscure. You're going to get so much heat on that Western facade. It's going to cook. It's going to be way too glary during the day. I'd be more inclined to go the obscure. But say, you know, you're on a Southern side on a one store, like a single story home and you want light to come into that bathroom. I, and you know, maybe you do your makeup there and you want as much light as possible coming into that space. Yeah. Maybe that's the perfect place for a white frosted window. You can use the, the, that kind of glare effect we were talking about to your advantage. Yeah. Even if you're again, a lot of project homes, if you're built to boundary, you're on that boundary side, you've got a master ensuite, one very small high level window, but you've got a two story house next to you. I'd probably go white frost because you want that light to come in. You want it to be almost like a light box. 
Yes, so agreed. that's a perfect instance of yeah. where I would do a white frosted. Perfect. There you go, guys. I mean, there's there's so many more things we could say about windows and glazing, but I think we'll leave it there for now. Yep. We're gonna I feel move- like, again, we're going to do a whole other yeah, episode 100%. just on glazing. We're going to move now back into the realm of more interior related things with our next one. When you've got a house, or I guess one of the main things you kind of come up and ask me quite a lot is... Yes. When we're doing a, an apartment building or a home design and you you kind of come over because it's time to kickstart the interior design, probably one of the first questions, apart from where are we putting the tower rails, yes. is do we have gas? Yes, gas or electric. That's yep. kind of one of the first. It just, it really dictates a lot of those big design. Hot water, yep. cooking. It, how, yep. how are you doing it? Yeah. So in terms of if we have gas, Lockie, you mentioned obviously cooktops. So if we're doing a gas cooktop or an electric cooktop, that are, that also has an effect on our outdoor entertainment space. So if we're doing a built-in barbecue, yep. if that's gas or electric, do we need a bottle? If it's obviously electric, Affects are we doing- kitchen. Yeah, yeah, gas cooktop, obviously, but induction cooktop or, you know, there's been a lot of projects where we have gas to the site, but the clients are more inclined to go to induction cooktops or yep. vice versa. They want both. Or we have a client who is so gas obsessed, they have to have gas, but there's no gas to the site. So we actually integrate gas bottles into the kitchen design and how we get that. Even if we've got space underneath the house or we've got a cabinet, we need to free up in the kitchen to be able to obtain that. Um, that's a big component of the design. Yeah. Um, fireplaces. Fireplaces are huge. Fireplaces. I know, I know we live in Queensland, but how many projects have we done now in the a last lot. probably like two, three years? of just fireplaces everywhere. Everyone yeah. wants them. And be that electric, gas, huge component. Where can we get it in? Can we get gas? Obviously. With, um, with induction, I know you've mentioned this to me in the past. You can't just use your same pots and pans, can you? Oh, it's not as complicated as people think. You just need, you need steel. Pools. I, I've lived in one house with a pool okay. that I can remember at least. I think we did a chlorinated pool. I Listen, I love pools. A lot of people just think they're money pits, but especially with COVID and kind of being locked inside. Or even like young families. Did you grow up in a house? Yeah, we grew up in a house. Pool. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think they're definitely- You were definitely... one of the cool kids, weren't you? That like everyone wanted to go because you had a pool. You were one of those ones. Yeah, a little bit. I just think if you've got the space, I think if you're trying to squeeze everything in to the point where you don't have any grass in your backyard- you're and compromising just to get the pool in. Yeah. Probably I, not worth it. In a lot a lot of the houses near it, ours have no backyard. It's just pure paving and concrete and it's fine. Some of them do it really nicely, but it, it gets a little bit too concrete jungle, if that yep. makes sense. Yep. There's too, just too all your planting is done. The guys over our back fence have actually done a pretty great job because they've got like a terraced garden bed up against the wall. Oh, yeah. And then they've got jasmine vines kind of running up and softening all that interface. But if you're doing it at the expense of a backyard, if I had to choose between a backyard and a pool, that was the that was the decision to make. I think I'd just choose a backyard. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more inclined. Again, I grew up in New South Wales, freezing cold, a pool might get used what three months out of every year so a little bit different obviously in brisbane i feel like you would use it a lot more when you're using it nine ten months of the year yeah kind of justified but again you need the space to justify it if you still got a backyard and a pool great but i wouldn't compromise my backyard for a pool no not at all but in terms of different types of pools obviously you touched on you had a chlorine pool a typical chlorine pool um salt pool they're kind of big these days um, above ground versus in ground. So again, that just comes to design or style yeah. availability. Maybe potentially you've already built all of your house and you want to retrofit a pool. 
it's a lot easier to do an above ground and kind of build that in instead of digging yeah. in and getting huge machinery. You did mention like a huge massive crane had to go in, but maybe yeah. that's cheaper than getting, you know, machinery in and, and digging a huge, <laughs> huge a hole. Huge hole. The next one, and this is interesting because I'm on one side and you're on the other. I am. Single versus double story homes. Yeah, here we go. Coming from the small project home point of view, if Caitlin and I could have built a double story house, we would have done it. 100% we would have done it. The block size we're on is just wide enough to justify being able to fit a single house on, Mm -hmm. a single level house on, sorry, but double story houses, you're not having to steal space from other areas as much. I feel like touching on that in terms of using your block to its best potential. Yes. For instance, with your block, Mm -hmm. as you said, instead of trying to like scrape every centimetre and millimetre back to internal floor space, I can see the benefits of going two-storey in that sense because you're able to get a bigger backyard. You could do all of your living spaces downstairs, your kitchen, living, dining, a rumpus room or media room. You can kind of do that and then flow out onto the backyard, big entertainment, and then you've got all your bedrooms upstairs, which is a very typical two-storey layout, would you say? Yeah, 100%. And would have actually solved solved two episodes ago. The, The main issue we've got with the house is not having the connection really from our indoor living space to our outdoor or the backyard area mm-hmm. where a lot of those kind of homes having that connection built in because you've got all your bedrooms on that level above and you squeeze an extra living room up there so you can have the the parents can have a living room and you've got the other living room separated um which is something I'll touch on in the future I if you've got two living rooms like a living room and then a multi-purpose room or a media room and they're literally like two meters away. If you're going to do it, do a hinge door and like properly seal it off acoustically. You can't have it open or else the noise is just going to give you a headache. I feel like it's just two awkward spaces to furnish compared to Agree. two completely individual separate spaces yep. and rooms. Yep. And then again, we touched on it in our last episode. The reason why you needed, like there's a reason why you need a door for acoustics, for privacy. If you've got two TVs in two spaces that are like half open, it doesn't work. Yep. You actually can't have two TVs going. It's too loud. You're competing with hubby or kids' playroom. Like, nah, yep. separate it. Keep it separate if you can. To um to talk a little bit, I guess we've been pumping up two-story or multiple-story houses yeah. a little bit, but to just give a little bit of the cons, I guess, to it mm-hmm. is... Stairs. <laughs> stairs and cost. Stairs aren't cheap. And with the two-story house, you're claiming more floor space, so the cost goes up. So that's why, especially for Caitlin and I, it wasn't accessible. I'll spit some numbers here. Our total build cost by the time we'd finished everything, I think we were originally given a contract price of 180000 And then that excludes your site costs and all these other bits and pieces. Didn't come with a driveway, didn't come with this and that. So by the time we were done, it was about two hundred and forty thousand to to have a house fully turnkey ready jump to go from one hundred and eighty to it like is. oh yeah terms and conditions. <laughs> it is to give context. If we did the same style of house but in a two story format, it's about four hundred thousand dollars. It's about an extra one hundred and fifty grand. Wow, really? To go up. Yep. Okay, look, very different to the Renault game. Hundred percent. I cu- I can't believe that that price increase. That's that's yeah. crazy. But obviously the pros and cons of that. You're getting you're doubling your floor space. Doubling floor space. The air conditioning or the mechanical ventilation's now more complicated. Mm-hmm. So you're having to cool more. Your stairs. Stairs are like I don't know, say fifteen to twenty grand. Yeah, minimum. To, to depending do that on how you structure. fit them out. More floor spaces. You're having to run more plumbing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a little tip if you are doing a two-story house, potentially do two hot water units if you're doing instantaneous. Do one upstairs for the bathrooms and then one downstairs for like your laundry, bathroom down there, your kitchen. Because oh, you instead don't, of the we've water all ha- done it. We've all oh, put on goodness. the shower mixer and waited you have five to leave it minutes. Because you've got to clear the pipes to get through. Mm-hmm. If you've got one upstairs and one downstairs, something Instant. that I picked up, it's a little bit more like capital cost, I guess, but for a usability or a, an ease of use going forward, 100% worth, worth the investment. Worth yep, the investment. Totally agree. Um, okay, I feel like we've kind of given all these pros on two-story. That's it. I've gi- we, Listen, we've given you so much information on this one and the last one that if we keep going, it's going to be an, an overload. Do you have anything else you wanted to throw oh, in? Well, just another, I'm about to give some massive pros to the old single story, but a big pro for two-story, just like we touched on in our last episode, opportunity for a void. A void. That's love it. A bit of, love a bit of what double void. What about a void with the skylight over the top? Stop, Stop. it. Oh, like your MIM design one with the oh. Oculus above the stairs. Stunning. Unreal. Absolutely beautiful. Um, all right. Now, single story. Now, just to give a bit of context to the listeners out there, with my house that I'm living in at the moment, this four-year reno that will never end, <laughs> we originally, we bought a, it's technically a single story. It was a single story home, but because we're on a, a quite a bit of a hill, it's tiered. We have a multi-level home. Split level block. Split, 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 split level home. So we have off the street, we have seven stairs. Then we have another set of nine stairs to get up to the front door. Then from the front door, you come into our like kitchen, living, dining space. Then we have five stairs to get up to this like split level then we did an extension and we've got a whole nother flight of stairs to get up to the master bedroom and another spare bedroom as well so we have like four flights of stairs so for all those thinking that's not that big of a deal do you know how many times i've got into the car driven out and gone oh i forgot my license or i forgot something my airpods (laughs) (laughs) i forgot something in my bedroom oh i have to cut four flights of stairs just to get like a jacket or it's it, look, it's beautiful to be able to separate spaces. I do love the privacy that that gives you, being able to go upstairs to your, you know, your private master bedroom, being able to have private areas throughout the home. And it, it does feel nicely segregated. However, it's not really accessible for the elderly. Let's just put that out no. there. So we had, you know, Brock's grandparents, for instance, come in and like to be able to give a house tour. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, an all day affair. It really is. Like, Oh my goodness. Yeah, I've I've also fallen down the stairs, let's say. <laughs> oh, but you would have been crystal clear. That wouldn't have been under the influence of anything. No, actually. It was just <laughs> was with it slippery socks. socks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Socks kill guys. No, but um again, a little funny, embarrassing story as well is I actually broke my foot last year. Oh yeah. So I was in a moon boot in this multi-story hellhole. <laughs> and it just wasn't fun. It was not fun being able to I couldn't even just go down to the kitchen to make a coffee because I had crutches and a moon boot and yeah it was just little things coming from a mile away oh yeah it's look two-story it it has its pros multi-story listen we've given you so many tips and bits of information on this one going on from building from what where we started with mood boards in terms of finding things you like Mm -hmm. now you've got some information now about those mood board images about what decisions you're gonna have to make do you want gas do you want this type of window it keeps coming back to the the checklist, the checklist. And I'm, I'm all for, if you have a 400 square block in a built, a very built up suburban 
area. That's me. I'm all for two-story. Utilize that block. Utilize your backyard space. You know, you don't want built to bounder everywhere just to make sure your floor plan works and you get your checklist items. If you need to go two-story to achieve that, I'm all here for it. Yep. But if you're on, you know, two acres of land... Nice big farmhouse. Yeah, beautiful single story. Do separate wings to get that privacy. I'm all here for single story (laughs) living. I'm here for it. So, yeah. There's no wrong answer. Yeah, it's really not. It's just whatever works for you. You Your situation is different to everyone else's. You know what works for you. 100%. So, we've got what we're talking about now in terms of building this checklist or this wish list. Mm -hmm. So, what, what we think would be beneficial if you're going through this exercise is to write down your top three must-haves. And each person write down, each person. not just, you know, hubby and yep, wife, yep. both both write down. Yep. So we want you to write down your top three must-haves for each space. Mm-hmm. Then you can kind of do a compare and contrast at the end, figure out what's a value. If you both write uh, high skirting or like tall skirting, done deal, lock that in, throw it in. Yeah. Done decision. If one of you wants a fireplace and the other one didn't even think about putting a fireplace in, have a discussion. Figure out if it's something that works with your budget, works with what you both want out of this. So, yeah, I guess that's the thing. So, once you've done this, you almost need to treat it like a shopping list. So, you put all this together and get a rough idea of what the cost is. Or even before cost, I would kind of, what's the high priority? You know, you've got how many spaces and you're writing three kind of priorities for that space. It could be as simple as a high skirting. That's not really going to change your budget or or affect your budget too much. It's more... Do you want a two-story house and your partner wants a single story? <laughs> so that's a great point, yeah. Like that's that's a huge priority. Probably list. one of the first ones to start with, actually, is figuring <laughs> the, out how much space you're gonna have. Exactly. So from your checklist or your needs, then I would try and prioritize your wish list. And then from there, we're gonna see how that affects our budget. And in terms of where your priority sits. So, you know, one person really, really wants a double void and to get that in, and that's a high priority. And then, you know, your partner or significant other, whoever's going in your house with you, and they really want a two-way fireplace. Integrate if that's both your number one priorities and you both really, really want those items and you can't live without it. It's on the, the absolute top of the wish list. You're going to have to find a way to get that budget to work with those two checklist items. Yeah. And then, you know, it's all about giving and taking. So if that's your number one priority, maybe we can sacrifice the lower items on your on your checklist. Yeah. Or is it something where maybe the, the upfront capital cost of that fireplace isn't achievable now but if you outlay yeah if you outlay just a little bit more money for something you're not going to get an immediate return on you're going to save yourself so many headaches down the track like if you've got the gas provision already there and you just don't tap into it yeah just get just get your builder to run that gas line into that wall and you can use it at a later point it's always there same thing with i always find a lot of our clients do like the outdoor entertainment space or landscaping it kind of gets put to the last yeah it's always the very last last thing is when you finish the house and you're like oh i'm already over budget and i haven't put any turf or any plants in and we have no garden beds we're on a dirt dirt patch but make allowances for it then no okay well i i'm gonna have our outdoor entertainment space in this area just put a gas line there for the barbecue you can power provision water provision water points it's all there you don't need to fork it out all in the get-go like this is definitely coming from someone who's you know, four years into a renovation and we're still not completed. So you don't have to have the dream home exactly how you want it on day one. Yep. This can evolve. And again, it's going to evolve with your taste. It's going to evolve with your checklist. Your, Your wishes are going to change as well. You might start living in a house 
and be like, oh, you know what? I don't actually use that space that I fought so hard for. And, you know, maybe I can use that as, you know, a study now instead of that, you know, we don't need five bedrooms. Maybe we can yes. change that fifth bedroom to an office. Like these things might evolve and your budget doesn't necessarily need to include every single item. You just need to make allowance for it or a provision for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Guys, I guess that's that's it for this week. We've managed to to cap off Building blocks. Building blocks. I mean, I was, we'll save this. Maybe what we'll do is we'll record this separately. We might just put it up on our Instagram. But I do have something for you, Michaela, that I wanted to do as just like a little fun. This isn't on the show notes. No, it's not at all. I found a a little online quiz from PGH Bricks, which is a a bit of a design. What style are you? Oh, okay. Oh. So I I think we might record that as like a little bit of separate content. Oh, this will be fun. For the people on the gram. Just that way we don't have to clog this episode up any longer than it is. So that way. Yeah, 100%. I think think we do that. Guys, next episode, we're done kind of with some of the higher level stuff. So now we want to kind of drill into that next. Yeah, we want to drill into that next level of detail. So what we're planning on doing is what actually goes into the spaces within a home. So we'll start with wet areas and then we'll cover off, say, even bedrooms and wardrobes, uh, bedrooms, wardrobes, private spaces. And then we'll finish the final off with our kind of, I guess, public entertaining spaces. So like your living room, maybe, would you put your kitchen in the Um, living room? I'm going to do a whole, I'm just putting it out there now before I've even seen the show notes. I want to do a whole episode on kitchen. You know what? Let's do wet areas, bathrooms, laundries and the like. We'll do an episode on private areas. So bedrooms and wardrobes. We'll do another episode on entertaining spaces. So your your living room, maybe like some outdoor entertaining spaces. Dining room, M- um, NPRs, 100%. offices. And then we're going to have a masterclass on kitchens. Oh. Because I think Michaela's right. If we try and include kitchens in the living entertaining space one, it's just, that's going to end up being a four-parter. So oh, we might as well just 100%. do it justice, do it right from the start. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Feel free to send through any questions you have. Uh, to us on our Instagram at Grab the Trace. What you're listening to right now is some music that we had Robbie help us out with. So big thanks to Robbie. Robbie um, Helberg, full name. Yep, architect, music guy, fantastic. So this is his jam that he's put together for us. So if you can take a moment to rate, review, subscribe, and share, it would be immensely helpful to us. And Michaela, thank you very much for your time this week. Oh, it's thank been a pleasure. You. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I loved this episode. Love it. All right, we'll see you guys. See you guys next time. <laughs>